to sort of put a, an, an idea on what we're trying to do here on Wednesday nights, I want us to think about a verse to get us started this evening in 2 Timothy uh, 3, 16 and 17. Very familiar uh, to you. And Mr. Ben, if you should keep yawning over there, that means that it's going to spread throughout. So, and I'll start doing it. Um, y'all doing all right? Doing good. Second Timothy three uh, sixteen and seventeen, where Paul says every scripture is inspired of God, and it is profitable for doctrine and reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness, that the man of God, that the man of God, can be. Uh, perfect or complete and then thoroughly furnished thoroughly furnished under every good work uh, look in closely there at the words thoroughly furnished maybe your translation has equipped completely equipped now what is it that can make every person completely equipped from this verse this reading what is it that makes every person completely equipped for every good word? The scripture. The Word of God. The Word of God. And so we come back and ask ourselves, do, do I believe this? Do I truly believe this? Do you see the emphatic words here? Okay. That the man of God may be completely furnished, completely equipped, completely qualified for every good work, every good work, nothing, nothing outside of what the Lord would expect is left out here, every good work, and that's the power of the scripture. And this is what we're attempting to do here on Wednesday nights is to help ourselves be equipped, thoroughly equipped to help other people in the world and to help ourselves see the light of the gospel in a better way. The word thoroughly is really truly, which means without end. Yeah. Mike saying the word thoroughly here is really truly, which is uh, the definition that would be without end. Without end. Practically, practically for us, absolutely, completely furnished, and it's the Word of God that does that. Okay. Not the Word of God plus something else, but the Word of God. This means there is the potential for every single person who so desires to be a person of God and be ready unto every good work. And so do I believe this is the case? Do I act like this is the case? <clears throat> we are becoming a brotherhood of referrals. Of referrals. This this quick access to videos, it probably has some good points, but also has some down points. 
because we're becoming more and more obsessed with gurus. Gurus. Who, who's the next guru to come through? So we're just looking for the next guru. And so we become a brotherhood of referrals. In other words, I want to refer you to somebody. Okay. Now, according to 2 Timothy 3, we ought to know why we believe and what we believe. But our practice is becoming, slowly but surely, that I don't really know about all that, but I know somebody I heard. I can refer you to somebody. In fact, we need to get that person here so he can explain to people what it is that we believe and why we believe it. Okay. So this is a trend that's not good because God's ideal is that each one of us be, unless I'm misreading here, is it possible that each one of us can be thoroughly furnished, completely qualified for every good work? There's that word, every. Every good work. And so I just wanted to make that notation with you. You know, in, in the early times, like in Acts 8 verse 4, those regular Christians who were spread apart, spread out into the lands because of persecution, they took the gospel, and that's, that's, why, that's why things went so well for a while in those early times. They took the gospel themselves. There are no professionals in the brotherhood. There are no professional servants. If, if you've ever thought that, go ahead and get that out of your mind. That's, you're not, you're not going to find that in the words of our Lord Jesus. Okay? I'm not a professional. You're not a professional. Okay? We're all on the same team. We're in the same body. And we have the same mission. Okay. All right. So, in the thought about equipping ourselves... I want to bring up this question. What if somebody says to you, well, the Bible says we are saved by works, but the Bible also says we are not saved by works. First of all, is that true? Is that true that the Bible says that we are not saved by works, but at the same time it says we are saved by works? Yes. It does say that, doesn't it? Where does it say that we're not saved by works? Who's got it? Aaron, you got it? Okay. Who, where is it at? Where does it say that we're not saved by works? Okay. Who said I think somebody said it over here. Yeah, Ephesians 2. Ephesians 2. For by grace, verse 8, Ephesians 2, For by grace have you been saved through faith, this not of yourselves is the gift of God, not of works. So his topic there, of course, in verse 8 is salvation. And then he says, not of works, lest any man should boast. Okay. But then if you look at James 2, verses 14 through 26, you see clearly that there are works that will save a person. Um, from... 
their sins. So if you look down, say, James 2, uh, 24... You see, um, talking about Abraham was called a friend of God. And you see, well, let's just start in verse uh, 21, James 2, 21. Was not Abraham our father justified by works when he offered up his son Isaac on the altar? You see then that faith was active along with his works and faith was completed or made perfect by his works. And the scripture was fulfilled that says, Abraham believed God and it was counted to him for righteousness and he was called a friend of God. And then James 2.24, you see that a person is justified by works and not by faith alone. Verse 25, and in the same way was not Abraham, was not also Rahab the prostitute or harlot justified by works when she received the messengers and sent them out another way. And so we're going to think about that for just a second uh, this evening. But on top of that, I want us to think about the fact that if, if, we, if, we, if we contend to say that um, salvation is conditional, that salvation requires obedience from us, if we say that salvation is conditional, then there are going to be some folks that's going to call us fanatics. Okay. And the other day, uh, Will was discussing scripture with a, one of his friends. And the friend turned around and called Will an Armenian, right? And I hadn't heard that word in quite a while. I, I know what, it, what they mean by that. It means that you're a fanatic because Will was obviously showing that obedience is required. Okay. But it had been a while since I had heard that word Armenian. I mean, so I had to look it up. It refers to Jacob Arminius, and he lived way back in the 1500s, 1600s, and he lived and taught uh, at a university during the time of what is called the um, Protestant Reformation. And John Calvin was huge in those days. And so Protestant, when you see the word Protestant, you see the word protest in there. And so it's called this because many were protesting against the Catholic system that had developed over all those, all those many years. Okay. And so John Calvin, in, in reacting to the Catholic system, he went way too far because he began to teach things like irresistible grace and limited atonement and unconditional election. In other words, unconditional salvation. Okay. Jacob Arminius comes along and he totally agrees that we got to break away from the Catholic system of works, but he wrote and taught that John Calvin was going too far, especially in the, in the unconditional part. Jacob Arminius would say, the way I read my Bible is that there's, there's, there are definite conditions uh, for being elected by God or saved by God. And so it's interesting to me that uh, the fellow who called Will an Arminian was about Will's age. So 
evidently the parent of the fellow Will was reading the Bible with had told them something about Ar Armenian. And you just, you just call them Armenian. If somebody begins to say that, that salvation is conditional, then that's Armenian. Most likely the young fellow didn't know what Armenian meant. But back in the day, they began to um, call Jacob Arminius a, a heretic, a, a fanatic, because he challenged the, the status quo of just simply saying, hey, God is so sovereign, he just elects who he wants to to salvation, and it's all unconditional, and you just can't question that, and Jacob did. And uh, so now, through the years of time, Interesting, interesting to me that that little ideal has kept uh, kept up. It has it has been passed along. Okay, it was about a year or so ago. I heard a um, a religious discussion on TV, and one of them, one of the guys, used the word Armenian, and I thought I need to look that up. And then when this was brought up, I said it's just time to look that up. But the battle, so to speak, back in those days, and even the battle still now is, is salvation conditional or is it not? And a lot of the confusion comes from not understanding the idea of works uh, in the Bible. Okay. And so we need to equip ourselves. So let's look quickly. There are three major types of works um, pertaining to our understanding that we'll mention uh, tonight. Let's start in Galatians, um, not Galatians, Romans 3.28. Romans 3 and 28. Let's start right there. The first work that is not included in salvation are the works of the law of Moses. The works of the law of Moses. So in Romans 3, notice how Paul brings this out. Beginning in verse uh, 27, Paul says, what then becomes of our boasting? It is excluded. We have no right to boast. He just labeled all of us as sinners and in need of justification through Christ. Okay, so by what kind of law? By law of works? No, but by the law of faith. Notice Paul's words there. Okay. And then verse 28. For we hold that one is justified by faith apart from the works of the law. So our faith that justifies us, that saves us, comes apart from the works of the law. And this includes the law of Moses, certainly, because the next verse says, Or is God the God of the Jews only? Is he not the God of the Gentiles also? Yes, of the Gentiles also. So... Justification or salvation does not come through the works of the law of Moses. Now, let's stop right here and ask why. And please go ahead and, and you answer this. Give me some reasons why salvation is not found in the works of the law of Moses. Okay, the law of Moses couldn't forgive uh, sins. Okay. Who else? What else are you going to say? Okay. 
So one reason is, and Roger's pointing this out, is that the law of Moses had only animal blood. Okay. The law of Moses only had animal blood. And animal blood uh, cannot uh, provide salvation, absolutely, could not provide atonement, uh, absolutely. The passage there is Hebrews 10 and verse 4, where uh, the apostle talks about the blood of bulls and goats uh, cannot take away uh, sin. It's impossible. It's impossible. Okay. Now, at the same time, Hebrews 9.22 says that without the shedding of blood, there can be no remission of sins, but it's not ultimately going to come through the blood of bulls and goats and other sacrifices of the law of Moses. So uh, one, one good reason is the uh, law of Moses only had animal blood. Okay. What would be another reason? That the salvation can't come through the works of the law of Moses. Okay, uh, Larry say in Galatians 3, verse 10, if you want to jump over there and notice that, uh, in order for the law to have saved anybody, then you would need to keep it perfectly, but no man can do that. Okay, so if you notice uh, Galatians uh, 3, verse uh, 10, Paul says, For all who rely on the works of the law are under a curse, as it is written, Cursed be everyone who does not abide by all things written in the book of the law uh, to do them and do them. Okay. That's why verse 13 says, Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law, having become a curse for us, in that it said in the old law, Cursed is everyone who is hanged on a tree. You see that? So uh, not only were those living under the old covenant uh, under a curse, but we're all under a curse because we cannot keep any law perfectly, whether it be the law of Moses or any other system uh, by man. Okay. So, good. The uh, law of Moses had the animal blood, and then also um, all those who labored under the law of Moses was under a curse because you can't keep it uh, perfectly. Okay. What else would you say along these lines? Okay, good. Salvation from God was going to be for everyone. And the law of Moses was only given to who? Okay, how do you know that? Okay. If you're showing someone... You're showing someone that the law of Moses is only given to a single nation. Where do we go to show that? That's a good answer. Exodus and Deuteronomy. All right. Um, Exodus 34. Exodus 34. I got us to the chapter. Y'all find the verse.
idea. Yeah. But practically speaking, there's no... What do you say? I've been told no. I've been told that all Jews are Hebrews, not all Hebrews are Jews. Did you hear that on a video? <laughs> You've been told? Yeah. Who told you? Uh, what does it matter? It matters. Right or wrong. It matters. Huh? You tell me. I'm looking for this verse in Exodus 34. Let's see. Here it is. Verse 27. Exodus 34, 27. The Lord said to Moses, Write these words, for in accordance with these words, I have made a covenant with you and with Israel. So he was there with the Lord 40 days and 40 nights. Okay. So... That's a good point in that salvation couldn't come from the works of the law of Moses because it was only given to a single nation. A lot of people don't understand that. Look also, uh, Mike mentioned Deuteronomy. Look over to Deuteronomy 5. Verse uh, 2. So verse 1 says, Hear, O Israel, the statutes and the rules that I speak in your hearing today, and you shall learn them and be careful to do them. The Lord our God made a covenant with us in Horeb. Not with our fathers did he make this covenant, but with us who are all us here alive today. So to, to the us here, to the, to the Hebrew people. Paul, I don't really know. I'm not up on the difference between the word Jew and Hebrew. What Mike said about the Jews is that it was the Hebrew people that centered around Judea. Okay. But do you, what else have you heard about that? Well, the Jews have a true blood. Okay, I see So the Hebrews would be more um, just intermingling with the Jews and become Jewish in religion? So the intermarried Jewish people who inter- intermarried maybe with others? Okay. Maybe. Okay, so the question was, um, why can't the works of the law of Moses uh, provide salvation? We've had some good answers. It was given only to the Jews and not uh, worldwide. It had only uh, animal blood. Okay. And to keep that law and to live under that law and to be saved by law, you'd have to keep it perfectly, and that's impossible. Did Jesus die for those who labored and lived under the law of Moses? Yes. Let's look at that right quick. Look at Galatians 4 with me. Galatians 4. 
And then we'll jump quickly over to Hebrews uh, 9. In Galatians 4, verse, beginning in verse 4, But when the fullness of time had come, Galatians 4, verse 4, God sent forth His Son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law. See that? Under the law. So those under the law of Moses needed the death and sacrifice of Jesus, just like the rest of the world. See? That's why you cannot be, could not have justification under the works of the law of Moses, because Jesus died for them too. Look at Hebrews 9. Look at Hebrews 9 in verse 15. Speaking of uh, Jesus, he's the mediator of a new covenant so that those who are called may receive the promised in eternal inheritance. That would be us or anybody who submits to the gospel, those who are called. Since a death has occurred that redeems them from transgressions committed under the first covenant. See that? Hebrews 9.15. So Jesus became the mediator of a new covenant so that he could redeem them from transgressions committed under the first covenant. So anyone back in those days who lived under the first covenant had transgressions. They had sin just like everybody else. And Jesus died for everybody, but he also died for these. He died for them because they could not be justified by the works of the law. All right. We can go on and on about reasons why you can't uh, be justified by the works of the law of Moses. The second category of works is the works of human merit. Human merit. He, work of, works of human pride. Okay, so first of all, what do we mean by that? When we say works of human merit. What do we mean by that? Can't be saved by works of human merit. What, what does that mean? You can't do so many good deeds to get to heaven. Can't do so many good deeds to get to heaven? Okay, what else? How else? Anything you could do to where you would claim I'm a good person on my own. Okay. Right. Anybody else want to explain it further? Works of human merit? Um, Did you hear that, Paul, that Hebrews traced themselves back to Abraham according to what he's reading here in circumcision? It would be an interesting thing to look at. All right, so works of, of human merit would be um, uh, some of us grew up going to Boy Scouts, right? And, and uh, you work for a, a merit badge, at least we did. And so to get that merit badge, you had to accomplish certain things. You had to prove uh, to one of the adults that you could swim so far, that you could shoot a bow and arrow with some precision, and a whole list of things. And then there was this merit badge, and then there was another merit badge, and you could just progress up. 
And that's sort of the idea is that's, that's not the way of salvation, not, not through merit. Okay. Some people do a lot of charitable works, and in their mind they imagine that they are bringing justification to themselves and piling up a lot of charitable works, but that's not it. Now what verses uh, would we show? Um, um, turn over um, to Titus 3. That would be one good one to look, look at. Uh, Titus 3 talks about salvation, verse number 5. And it says, Salvation does not come by works of righteousness which we have done ourselves, but through His mercy He saved us. You see that? Titus 3 and verse 5. Another one to write down there would be 2 Timothy 1, verse 9. 2 Timothy 1, verse 9. Can read that one right quick. But in verse 9 of 2 Timothy, Paul says, um, he's talking about the power of God through the gospel, and he says, God saved us and called us to a holy calling, not, not because of our works, but because of his own purpose and grace, which he gave us in Christ Jesus. Okay. So those couple of verses, it shows that, that works of merit is not what? What saves us? Okay. What, what's the problem there? What's the problem? What, what's the main problem behind works of merit, works of human merit? What's, what's the big problem there? I mean, it's a good comment. What else might you say? What's the, what's the big problem of the works of human pride or wisdom or human merit? How much you going to do? Who qualifies what? Who sets the standard? Who sets the standard of how much is, is enough? what it takes to to earn our way or to or to pay for the salvation. Okay. Big problem there of course is um, is pride, self sufficiency. Man loves this. We we as a human beings we love this because we want to be in control. We want to be in, in control and, and to and to follow Christ you've got to you gotta relinquish that. Okay. You've got to give that up. And um, Mike was mentioning the Pharisees. You know, Jesus pointed out in Luke 18, in the beginning of that parable of the two that went to the temple to pray, that uh, the Pharisees, um, um, they loved to justify themselves, both there in Luke 18, 13, 14, and Luke 16, 15. Okay. They loved to, to bring righteousness um, for themselves. Okay. And that's why Jesus gave that parable. All right, so there's the works of the law of Moses and the works of human merit, and then also 
there would be the works of obedience, and that's the kind that do save. Okay. And um, we'll have to quickly look at look at those. Uh, see how the quickest way to do this. Uh, let's turn to John six. Let's turn to John six together. Conversation that Jesus has. This is very instructive here in John six. About verse uh, 28, Jesus is asked a question. And the question is, what must... Get it right here. They said to him, what must we do to work the works of God? Isn't that a great question? Okay. So notice carefully here that Jesus does expect a response human response to this question. It would be an excellent time for him to say, what do you mean do? What do you mean work? There's nothing for you to do or to work out. Okay. But notice what he says. He says, this is the work of God that you believe in him whom he has sent. So if you're going to exclude all works, what happens to faith? Because faith here is described as a work. A work. Notice in uh, verse 27 here, Jesus says to them, Do not labor for the food that perishes, but for the food that endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give to you for on him God the Father has set his seal alright so the food that endures to eternal life is something that has been given by the Son of Man true or false true the food that abides to eternal life has been given by the Son of Man but he says you must labor for that don't labor for the food that spoils that is for earthly things. But labor for the spiritual things. These spiritual things are a gift, but it's a gift that, that we work and we, we do to um, obtain. Let's see where else uh, we can go right quick as our time uh, disappears. Run over with me to uh, Revelation chapter 2 for a second. Revelation 2, Jesus' letter to the church at Thyatira. They weren't doing everything right. They had, um, they had the lady called Jezebel there. But um, down in verse uh, 25, Revelation 2, Jesus says, uh, Hold fast that uh, what you have until I come. In other words, those of you who remain faithful... Hold fast to your faith. He says in verse 26, the one who conquers or overcomes and who keeps my works, the one who conquers, overcomes, and keeps my works until the end, to him I will give authority over the nations. In other words, Jesus is promising victory to those who, who keeps his works, who does uh, his works. Okay. These are works of obedience. When I say works of obedience, I mean works of God. Works, works that God has ordained 
for us to obey that are essential for salvation. Works that have been prescribed by God okay, for us to do. Okay. Not works that we've made up, but what God has spoken about. If God has spoken about them, then we want to carry them out. The gospel. The gospel. Yeah. To obey uh, the gospel. Okay. So what other uh, verses come to your mind when you think about works of obedience? Okay, go ahead, Aaron. That's a good one. Read for us. Revelation 14, 13. They may rest from their labors and their works follow them. Okay. They have that rest because they have been obedient uh, with, in their works. Now, our religious friends are okay with saying this up to the point of baptism. Okay. And I don't know what the situation is. I, I can't tell you why there has, become, there has been such a a bias against baptism, but it's there. Okay. Could you properly call, call baptism a work of obedience? Can you do that? And where would you start in talking about that? How would you? Okay, one thing is, it, has, it is commanded. Okay. Acts 2, 37 and 38, Peter commanded that it be done, and so... That would be a work of God in itself. So that means that two buzzers means you've got ten minutes. One buzzer means you've got five more minutes. Two buzzers means you've got ten more minutes. So we're we're good. Be sure to mark in your Bibles Colossians two and twelve. It talks about baptism as a work of God. So Colossians 2 and 12, having been buried with him in baptism, in which you were also raised with him through faith in the powerful working of God who raised him from the dead. So question, who is it that saves us from our sins? It's God. Yeah, Jesus saves us. God saves us. It's the, it's the work of God. But the work of God is made effective when we submit to the ordinance of baptism. Okay. So we just read it carefully here. Well, the great physician gives us the medicine. We don't take it in our fault. Okay. The great physician gives us the medicine, and this is part of it. But in which you also, he's talking to Christians here process of their salvation that they'd undergone in the past. He says, in which also you were raised with him through faith in the powerful working of God who raised him from the dead. Okay. Alright. If you read the context there in Colossians 2, 
uh, Larry saying correctly that in, in a sense, baptism is the circumcision of today, okay, comparable to the physical circumcision uh, under the first covenant. So in a sense, baptism is a circumcision today, a spiritual circumcision, in that through repentance and baptism, we are, we are cutting off our ties with Satan. We're cutting off our ties with the world. We're making that firm commitment uh, to our Lord Jesus. Okay? And uh, the cross before us and the world behind us. Okay? And so that, that comes in the submission to, to baptism. So works of the law of Moses, works of human merit, and, and works of obedience. This is a review, but it's an important review because um, it helps equip us uh, to help other people see the light of the gospel. Thank you so much for being in class, and we'll take about a three-minute break. Hello.